CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Hello and uh, welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about this show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. As always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter. CTR Live is the hashtag. And look for this show as hashtag leadership. The topic today is building an emotionally intelligent IT team. And our guest for today's show are, uh, is uh, Scott Berkey. He's a former CIO and the managing director at Full Peak, and he's also the current president of the Society of Information Management Chicago chapter. Good morning, Scott. How are you? Very good. Good morning, Sanjo. Thanks for having me. Oh, glad to have you. Uh, now, we had a lot of talk on uh, discussion and discussions on our show and offline as well about how leaders can better themselves and improve. And okay. we also saw that leaders themselves are not the only ones who make a company or an organization successful. Their team is also equally important. So um, is it is it the emotional intelligence only uh, a privilege for the leader or it should also be uh, a uh, you know, uh, a trait that the team should have as well, and are they able to communicate and engage with uh, as other leaders too? So we were exploring all of that, and we thought might as well have a discussion where we could uh, instill a more positive environment and attitude, not just in an individual who is wearing a leadership hat, but also as a whole workplace. So, so Scott, when we when we look at uh, as an individual or look at an environment uh, where we are trying to get a team uh, work as individuals and as, as a group and have emotional intelligence, what's the struggle? Why do we not see that demonstrated on a consistent basis? Well, I'm going to – I'll bring my personal experience to bear, and um, I will tell you that I've also been teaching leadership, uh, executive leadership, authentic leadership to high-potential IT uh, executives, junior executives who are preparing for the move to the CIO suite. And um, so, so I've been doing that for the last 10 years, and we've had probably 100 companies come through our program and uh, share their experiences. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things that, that we hear consistently in that program also. So I think that, I think to answer your question, Sanjo, I think that uh, teams struggle in, in displaying emotional intelligence, um, both on an individual and as a, a team unit as a whole. So I, I believe it's really a function of both. Um, one of the challenges we have in, in our industry and in, in information technology is that what gets you started, where you start typically in IT historically, um, is as a programmer or a systems analyst or a server admin. And you're dealing with bits and bytes. It's a very binary way of, of approaching your, your day-to-day interaction with, with your, your, your work environment, which is largely computer-based. Um, and you get promoted up through the ranks uh, to a team lead, to a manager, to a senior manager, director, you know, um, you know, potentially VP. And at some point in time, what got you there won't take you to the next place you need to be. And, and I think that, that the, the IT industry in particular 
has that very unique challenge where what makes you a good IT person as you start and come up through the ranks is your technical capability, not necessarily your, your human capability. Whereas what takes you up from wherever that is, wherever that starts in your organization, it largely depends on size, manager, director, senior director, VP, CIO. That's all about the people and about finance. It's not about bits and bytes. So you go from a very binary way of looking at what you do every day to something where you're operating almost entirely in the gray and dealing with people instead of machines. Um, I think that, 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 that another challenge is, is uh, looking through other people's lenses. And I think this is, this is something we see consistently as people that come through our program. Um, we tend to think that other people will see the same situation in the same way that we do. And, and that's generally not the case. Um, we're all unique in that we've all had different life experiences, different, we come from different parts of the country or outside the country. Um, you know, we've had different family experiences, different dynamics, different training on what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, how you do conflict and not. And, and when you start dealing with the people, um, if you don't acknowledge those differences and don't understand them, um, it becomes very difficult to work in a, in a, in a emotionally intelligent manner. Um, Conflict is another area where teams struggle. Um, there's conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. We don't teach it as a bad thing. Uh, an environment where there is no conflict at all is uh, very is equally as troublesome in in our minds as an environment where there's high conflict. So the ability to create constructive conflict where that conflict is, is, is productive instead of destructive um, or constructive versus negative um, is, is, is something that, that most organizations will struggle with. Um, I think a lot of this comes from two different, two primary areas. The first thing is, is that, that as human beings, we very rarely get the gift of honest feedback about ourselves, honest objective feedback. Um, whether that's from family or from or church or other social organization or at work, it's generally through a lens or or often with an agenda, and and and, and we we pretty much know that as, as we go through life. Um, so it's difficult to get an honest picture of yourself and how other people perceive you, and sometimes it's difficult to accept that, and. Um, we need, to, we need to make sure that we're creating those situations for ourselves in order for us to gain that understanding. Um, the second area is trust and consistency. Um, our industry changes so very, very quickly that um, trust is often broken down uh, because of either the actions of, of, of companies uh, making decisions that maybe conflict with, with past directional decisions or potentially um, trust and consistency on an individual basis with with your with your leadership or people that you work with, um, those are those are key areas for us where we we see uh, companies of all sizes and teams of all makeups really struggling um, when when trying to deal with emotional intelligence and and display emotionally competent um, um, behaviors inside their organizations. 
No, you, you, uh, actually, your response is pretty comprehensive, and thank you so much for that, Scott. Now, you mentioned that most people would start as programmers and systems analysts, and when they come to a certain level, that's when we start taking notice that what the skills they had to get started would not get them there. However, the word team does not only perhaps mean uh, only the mid-management and above. Because when we are talking about the overall performance of the team, that even includes those programmers and systems analysts. So they should not be, uh, there should not be a stepchild treatment syndrome existing in an organization which wants to perform at all levels in the best possible manner. But why is that two-level attention given that these guys are not worthy of being taught uh, to be taught uh, emotional intelligence or other softer skills because that's what is causing people to not be able to respect IT for what it is and because they're not able to interact with people at business user level while they are still programmers or systems analysts. So is there is there a, is this by design or is this is just a, a phenomena which has been happening and, and that we just continue with it? Well, I believe that a lot of it has to do with funding. I think if you ask most leaders, most leaders would, would tell you that it's important that everyone understands it's from the top to the bottom. However, I think that the willingness to make an investment in that um, is not necessarily part of the, the budgeting process. To train, to put that level of training, that level of investment to really help someone be an emotionally intelligent person. If you, to teach someone how to, program in a language, you can go to class for a week and you can you can learn the syntax of that language, then you can go off and and use it. The the process for making someone emotionally intelligent or or helping them understand themselves and their relationships with other people and how they're viewed, not how they think they're viewed, how they're actually viewed, is a much more complex and time consuming um, activity. So I believe that most of the investment comes with the people who are higher up in the organization with the idea that they will model it and they'll be able to, to pass it down and work with their individual teams and, and bring it bring it that way. Um, so, so I don't think that most HR departments or most leaders would say uh, that there are people in the organization at a, at a level that where this is irrelevant. But I think that, that you'd find in most organizations that there's just a challenge in funding that, both from time on the job and time away from your, your day-to-day job in order to, to make that happen, as well as just from a financial perspective um, from training, particularly as, as, as we're in some more difficult economic times and we're seeing training budgets cut um, and we're seeing in things that are, are, are considered non-essential, which is, which, which, and, 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 and employee training and soft skills training often are, are the, one of the first things cut. So, I don't believe that people think it's, it's not important. I believe that it's, it's difficult in today's business environment to actually have the capability, funding, time, and, and the mechanisms to actually bring that down to every single person inside your organization. This is a very interesting uh, perspective that you shared, uh, Scott, because if you look at managers who are perhaps managing these programmers or systems analysts or people who are starting from the bottom, they are uh, spending the time in making them do the job that is assigned to them and, of course, hoping that as part of a manager's responsibility is to groom them into a professional who will be able to take on bigger roles. 
and 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 higher responsibilities as the time goes by so if the managers themselves were spending the time so time is being spent and when they are really taking the time to groom these individuals and if there was a portion of it which was also not only working on how to get a job done but also to grow as individuals which could include the emotional intelligence portion assuming that managers themselves knew how to do it then mm-hmm. there would not be a catch 22 that okay if if i have an issue with uh the funding that's why i'm not able to do uh, invest the time and that is in turn resulting in us not being able to have these people create the value that they could have created if they were indeed emotionally intelligent absolutely i could not could not agree more I, there there are one of the questions that you get asked about identifying leaders in organizations and and in my in my world when i say leader I mean that could be any single person anywhere in the organization. I think there's your named leaders, right, which largely are positional, and then there's leaders that that lead from inside the organization, and those could be line people all the way up to your senior executives. But um, I've seen two different approaches, uh, philosophies from HR departments. Um, when I started working back in the uh, very early 80s, um, the approach generally was that you would train people to become managers or leaders and then you would put them into those managerial or leadership positions the trend i see now now today is um we put high potential people who we believe can be managers and leaders into those positions and let them grow into them while they're in that position and that's a very very different type of approach the more it's in the short term it's probably more cost effective because you don't have to take the time the the months or or years to to get them into doing that role before you actually formally give them the title you don't have to make that investment the dollar investment however you also don't get the benefit of having someone who actually has a, a at least a foundational knowledge of how to do that job and how to be a leader and how to be emotionally intelligent and how to look at their teams and say this is how my team is made up these are the issues that that I'm likely going to have both from uh, where the team is as, as a set of individuals that that individual mix as well as where they're at from uh from within a particular project or within a particular cycle in the the business or within a a, a particular situation any another situation they might be experiencing at work so i think we've seen a a, a change um and i'm not sure that that's it's the best change over the long term for business it certainly helps mitigate short term costs um but uh i think it 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 challenges people um when they get put in leadership positions when they wouldn't normally need to be challenged quite as hard as, as they are i think it also uh creates challenges within their individual teams because they don't have the tools to deal with it they, the the fundamental basics you create team dynamics that then eventually need to be unwound instead of creating a team dynamic that is basically structurally sound that then you can optimize. And I think that's a hit a, a very very large hidden cost that that many companies are are uh, wrestling with um today with respect to how they move their move their employees uh, upwards inside the organization. 
Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, Scott, when we come back, how about discussing the opportunity cost of not investing time, energy, and dollars into uh, making your people at no matter which level they are in the organization emotionally intelligent? We build leadership skills, but a leadership at its core requires emotional intelligence as one of the, the, uh, the most important ingredient. And if mm-hmm. that's not developed, there are far-reaching implications, and, and it could really hurt the organization. So what's that opportunity cost, and how do we justify that so that organizations start investing? So let's explore it when we come back. Listeners, please stay tuned. Thank you. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. So, Scott, uh, the opportunity cost of not investing, and also if we do invest, you mentioned that it is fairly complex to introduce emotional intelligence and other leadership-related qualities. Um, and, and, and what is that complexity? Why, why is it being seen as a, uh, a tough nut to crack? Well, emotional intelligence is one component um, that leads to what we call social intelligence. And Daniel Goleman has written two books. And for anyone who's listening who would like to get a fantastic foundational knowledge of this, I would, I would strongly encourage you to read uh, Goldman's Working with Emotional Intelligence book and its follow-up on social intelligence. And so my answers are, are going to largely come in, in that context. Emotional intelligence is really about knowing yourself and, and, and knowing how other people relate to you. Okay? So that's, that's just a simple knowledge. And, and that only has value when you, you put that into action. And Goldman calls that, a, uh, 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 an emotional competence. So if you don't know who you are and if you don't know how other people of different personality types, different backgrounds, and different cultures are going to react to you, very difficult for you to create a positive relationship with that individual. Likewise, if you can't look across your team and at least understand how your team is going to react differently to different situations and, and, you might be able to do that by knowing them a little better. You might be able to do that by giving them a test like an MBTI. Or you might be able to do that by um, watching them 
there are, are ways that um, you can look at micro expressions, and, and there are a lot, many, many very simple training tools out there for, for leaders to look at. Um, and then you need to work with each one of them to help them understand. So this is getting to that place is, is, is very difficult because it takes knowledge, it takes, and it takes time. And then the process of helping them move through the process of also understanding and getting them to a place where they not only understand that somebody else of a different personality type or a different background is going to react differently to their behavior, um, that takes time for them to accept. I think that most of us would, would say that receiving constructive criticism is, can often be challenging. And that's, that's, that's part of our own personal growth. Um, what we find is that it's, it's also and potentially more difficult for people to give constructive criticism. People don't like to do that, not in people's nature. We have exercises in our nine-month program that we do this over and over and over. And it's amazing that just by practicing that activity, the differences that happen inside those, those people's teams. Um, when, you don't, when you don't address these things, when you don't go through a process, and it, RLS is a fantastic process, the SIM RLS program. Um, there are other very good processes also, and, and your HR departments probably have uh, a list of, of, of processes and, and organizations that might be able to help you inside your company. But when you're not doing it, you get teams that bicker. And when you get teams that, that bicker and never resolve anything, you're not productive. Or you get silent. How many times have you been in a meeting with a, with a team of people and nobody's saying anything? And you know people have thoughts. These are intelligent people. People aren't generally in jobs because they're, they're stupid or incompetent. They're there because they're competent and they're able. And, but they're not sharing. Um, Inability to address issues with the person who's causing the issue, letting issues sit and fester and, and become bigger than they need to be. When you, find yourself, when you find yourself as a leader in a situation where teams are not self-resolving the majority of their problems, they're looking for you to resolve them, that's a big indicator of a team that's not emotionally intelligent. Um, unwillingness to make decisions. Um, why, why would someone not be willing to make a decision or a group not be willing to make a decision. There's something in there that, that's not working. There's, there's, there may, it may be fear. It may be apathy. It may be something there that, that and it generally has to do with the personal dynamics of the team um, or someone above the team or a culture that's been set inside the organization that affects their ability to work as a high-performing team. So when you have a team where you're no conflict or all conflict, Watch the body language of the people in the room. Are people sitting with crossed arms? Are, are, they, are they grinding their teeth? Are they looking down or up? Um, when you start looking at things like a microexpressions, uh, you can look at, there are training tools online for that. You can actually start to feel, to actually see without the person verbalizing it, how they're feeling in those situations. And uh, that can be very surprising. Um, ultimately, what you end up having is teams that are not functional um, as a team. So you're actually probably getting less out of your team than you would a set of individuals individually. And that's quite possibly the worst possible outcome for, for you and your company. So the impact of not 
bringing teams through this process is is foundational to the impact of your organization overall. And and when it happens on a team, that's bad. When it happens at the culture of the company, you've got a fundamental issue in, in your organization that will most likely emerge as a financial issue um, at some point in time down down the road. Would you say that a better way to address uh, emotional intelligence-related grooming or developing that particular trait in your individuals who are working in your company as well as at the team level is to start uh, coaching the team and then imagine or, or, or envision that people will start working with each other organically and start helping develop each other versus uh, taking one person at a time, and once each of them start feeling equipped, then they will bring that positive reinforcement, and the team together, like all people who are being coached, will start becoming uh, more effective in making the team emotionally intelligent. I think that it comes from both directions. So I think the, the answer to that question, I think, is yes. Uh, I think if the leader does not exhibit emotional intelligence, the, the named leader does not exhibit emotionally intelligent behavior, that will propagate to the rest of the team. If that person does and is able to work with the rest of the team, either directly as the leader or by using some other toolkit or process or organization or person with the rest of the organization to help them understand also, um, I think that's, 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 the best, that's the best approach. People don't People aren't trained in this this capability, right? Because there's emotional intelligence, and then there's the competence of putting it into action. So, if you if you don't have the EI piece, you can't put it into action. Many people have the EI piece, but don't know how to put it into action. And so, both of those items need to be need to be discussed and at least understood. And even if people don't like the the fact that there are differences and are challenged by it. The, the, the fact that they know that it exists will go a long, long way in helping them understand and accept and work through challenging situations um, in a much more productive way than, than if they don't even know that those, those differences exist. Now, would you say that uh, a, an emotionally intelligent team and also individuals who belong to that team should be resilient enough that they are not dependent on the leader demonstrating emotional intelligence for them to develop this particular trait? Do you think you can take a team? Because if you are saying my leader is emotionally intelligent and then only the rest of the team will behave properly or, or demonstrate the right type of competencies, then we are depending too much on one person. If we have built a good, resilient team, then if a, a leader is, is somehow losing it, then that person should go, but that should not impact the makeup or the DNA of that team. Do you think we are at that level of maturity any place? Ideally, that would be true. Um, I remember I, I worked for a company who, uh, whose CEO was, was very, very driven. And um, at this particular company, and I was there a couple of years in an executive role, um, I watched three people. Uh, breakdown. Uh, two people have heart attacks. I saw one person have a heart episode in the middle of a presentation. He hauled off into the hallway, and instead of being handled and taken to the hospital, he brought back in because he needed to finish the presentation before he was taken to the hospital. I, I was on the phone with another person in that company um, 
who uh, was was crying, literally crying. And uh, I asked her what was the matter. She said, I'm having a heart attack. I said, how do you know that? She said, I had one before. It's happening again. I said, why aren't you with the doctor? And he said, because she said, uh, because I need to get this report out for this particular person. And I watched another person uh, uh, get to such an emotional wrecking place that uh, we, you know, had to let him go and, and not let him go fired, but give him some time to go recollect himself um, or, or he was going to be involuntarily you know, committed um, to, uh, to a mental institution. Now, Individually, each of these people are impressive people, and I believe them to be emotionally intelligent people. However, when you have a leader that creates a dynamic, a scenario, or a situation, culture inside an organization that um, that is so, in 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 my mind, so uh, not emotional. Let's just say not emotionally intelligent. That you've got this type of behavior based on fear, um, a single person behaving that way can, can create all sorts of adverse behavior inside, inside the organization. And that can be true for a team lead, uh, divisional person, or, or a CEO. So I think that it does start at the top. I think if you don't have it at the top, it's very difficult to get it down below. Um, but if you, you can create pockets of emotionally intelligent and high-performing teams where you've got a good leader in those areas and where you've got a, a team that responds well to each other in an emotionally intelligent way. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be uh, coming back, and when we uh, basically we, what we would like to discuss is the specific traits of an emotionally intelligent team and individuals when they are uh, doing what they're supposed to do and they have reached the right level of maturity or emotional intelligence versus the traits of a team as well as the individuals. What what patterns do we see in the way they handle things and the way they behave when they are not up to the mark and they need some help? So let's inventory those and see what could be a good path created uh, for those people as individuals and as teams so that they can reach the right level of maturity that's desired for the, the appropriate outcomes. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. 
Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. So, what are the attributes would you say, Scott, uh, for a strongly, uh, you know, formed emotionally intelligent team as well as individuals? Are they demonstrating a different behavior than the ones who are not? Absolutely. I think that I think that uh, when when you look at an emotionally intelligent team, um, I think we, we've all probably heard by now the storming, forming, norming, performing, the four stages of of creating a high performing team. You know, storming is is figuring out who you are, and forming is is forming the team um, and and their 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 roles, either formal and informal. Um, norming at that point in time, when you're normed, you are you're getting the output of the team in the same level you would as individual contributors. And so people are working together and they're getting along. I think when you really start looking at what an emotionally intelligent team is, you start seeing a high-performing team. So people who are aware of themselves, they're aware that maybe they come across to some people as a little bit too aggressive or too passionate or or um, have trouble with conflict or where whatever those things are, they have self-knowledge about themselves. And this is especially true when you have conflicting personality types. So there are personality types that uh, get along easily, and there are personality types that simply just do not. And being aware that you have a different personality type and acknowledging it and accepting it and then, most importantly, taking action on it, uh, when you start seeing those types of behaviors, you know that you've got an emotionally intelligent team. Uh, they have, have performing and, and teams generally have a positive indications of emotional and social intelligence. Um, I think the biggest question you have to ask yourself is, if I look at my team, am I getting, are the results of that team more than the results of the sum of the individual parts? And if it is, you've probably got, a, an emotionally intelligent team. See, you, uh, I, I think the way you explain this, it looks like uh, you can measure emotional intelligence or level of emotional intelligence by the way a team performs. Do you think that could sometimes be a wrong indicator where people may be emotionally intelligent? They may be performing well, but somebody might be getting a heart attack. I think that if you have someone getting a heart attack, then that's probably one of two things. And it, the first thing it could be, it could just be an issue with that person, right? It could be a type A personality who's, who's working well and, but just harming themselves in the process. Uh, more often than not, and, and what I hear uh, through the, you know, 10 years of RLS and through my personal experiences is that you've got someone working out of fear. And when you've got someone working out of fear, then you absolutely do not have uh, an emotionally intelligent team. When you start seeing things like that, um, you start seeing you start seeing uh, uh, arguing. You start seeing people not being willing to make commitments. You start seeing people become quiet. You start seeing people lie and misrepresent in order to uh, avoid avoid the conflict or avoid the negative consequences of of the person who's putting that type of, of, of environment together. Um, and, 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 and so, and so, yes, you can, I believe you can see bad consequences for high performing, emotionally intelligent teams. But I also believe that I think 
you need to take a look at that one individual. If you've got one individual as opposed to the whole team, um, let's take a look at that individual and see is there something going on with that person? Is there a problem with their, their, their personal lives? Is there something happening at home? Is there something outside the organization that, that might be impacting them? Um, and then how does the organization help them? That's, that's part of being emotionally intelligent. Emotional intelligence is not just part of the workplace. It extends as it's almost a way of being. And, and I think we have to acknowledge that, that people's work lives, what they do in the office, is an extension of and melds with what they do in their home lives. And so to, to think that, that emotional intelligence is simply something we use at work, I think is, uh, doesn't give the, the, the power of emotional intelligence. It's, it's just due. Now, um, we, we did say that we want to make this team emotionally intelligent, and, and there is an effort that is put in. One is to teach people behavioral skills or, or uh, communication skills, but another uh-huh. is to help them become emotionally intelligent, which is almost like wearing a shrink's hat and, and or getting inside them and work with them so that they you know, heal themselves inside out or strengthen themselves inside out. That is a different level of connection that somebody has to make. And it seems like that you, you mentioned in the beginning, people, it, it's very cons- time consuming, etc. And it is expensive and it has to be formalized to some extent. What is it that is so complex? It is complex, as you mentioned, but what is it that is making it uh, so difficult for leaders to be able to take the time? Is it... Is it um, that they don't have the respect, and that's why people don't share with them. Where is the complexity, uh, and how should a leader or anyone who's managing these people start so that they make inroads and start, you know, chipping away at that problem or making uh, somebody emotionally intelligent? Ways. And I think part of it is part of the challenge is actually getting honest feedback about yourself. Um, it, it's, it's very difficult to get honest feedback about yourself at work, particularly if you're in a position of power. And on CIO Talk Radio, uh, you know, we probably have a lot of executives who are listening. And if you're doing something that's a problem, it's, it's not likely that you're going to get a lot of people coming up to you and saying, hey, I don't like when you do this, or I think you're crazy, or I don't trust you because, right? You got to, but, but if that's the way your people are feeling, if that, regardless of why they're feeling, if that's the way they're feeling, then you need to acknowledge it and do something about that. So the ability to get that feedback is, is so is so very, very important. And there are three things you can do with feedback. There's only three things. You can accept it, you can reject it, or you can defer judgment. And if you, if you accept it, then you say, okay, this is, this is feedback that is true about me. Now, am I going to do something about that? The answer might be no, right? Or the answer might be yes. And then you got to figure out what you're going to do. And inside of organizations in particular, there are consequences for, often there are consequences for giving that type of feedback. So get yourself a coach or get yourself into an external program. RLF is, is one that's, that's very unique and talks exactly to this particular situation. Um, there are probably others out there also. Uh, get, a, get an individual external coach. Right. Um, when you look at problems with your team, you're part of the team. And you, if you are the, if the named leader, you might be part of the problem. 
you might be the problem and not even know it. And even though your intentions are good, um, it is a process because it's an emotional process. You, you can't just tell someone to change their behavior, right? People, adult children will change their behavior by being told to change their behavior. The psychological basis. Adults are, there's a psychological basis that says they won't. They need to understand why. If there's not a reason why, it's very difficult to get someone, an adult, to change their behavior. So the, the, the process of getting that feedback, understanding the implications, letting people go through the process of accepting it, right, and then helping them figure out what, what they're going to do differently takes time. It's, it's a process, and it's a human process. It's not uh, a process like on a computer. And because it's a human process and because it involves change and because it involves emotion and because it involves maybe a new view on them as a, themselves as an individual or an enhanced view of them as a, about themselves as an individual, um, those things are often more difficult to absorb emotionally than, than maybe an error on a spreadsheet or a problem with a particular work product. Is uh, becoming emotionally intelligent uh, an ongoing process of self-reflection uh, and somebody else working on it, us? And at some point, can we say ourselves that we are now at a reasonable state of emotional intelligence and somebody else can also give us that stamp of approval? Or uh, is, this, is this something that it's almost uh, we have to keep at it? Because it could be like swimming. Once I learn swimming, I know swimming. So if I'm emotionally intelligent, I'm emotionally intelligent. Am I going to lose it? I think that I think that if you're not focused on it and you're not you're not acting intentionally, it's often easy to go back to old patterns. I also know that depending on the RLF program is a nine month program with six two day intensives. We read thirty over thirty books through that process, and we talk about. We talk about this from every possible direction, inside out, outside in, top down, bottom up, to the side, um, theoretical, uh, psychological, all the rest of those kinds of things. And I I was a graduate of the program in 2002, and I understudied and and went through it for the next three years. And since then, you know, I've been facilitating this um, as, uh, as as part of my job. And it's the same, largely the same set of books, largely the same set of topics, largely the same set of uh, uh, experiences. But yet every year I'm in a different place. And every year I pull value out of going through that process. So I think that as we grow as human beings, um, we will interpret and we will behave and we'll absorb and we will react differently when we're 20 than when we're 30 than when we're 50 or 60. And so I think it's something that, that, once you become aware, uh, just keep working on it. Make sure that you're intentionally behaving in a way where you're cognizant of these things and that uh, you're working with other people in a way that's, that's the most constructive that you can at that point in time in your life with what you're experiencing at that moment. So after your nine-month program, if somebody goes through it, of course, your expectation, and I'm sure you're getting results from your program, that they are coming out to be much better than when they started. But is that the end of it, or is there something that an, an individual can do or their respective companies can do so that they are fully cooking 
a leader or an individual who is not yet a leader to at least get a stamp of approval of the people around them saying uh, that these are emotionally intelligent or they've reached a level of emotional intelligence and now the onus is on this individual to sustain it. Well, yeah, I think that one of the things that, 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 that I recommend people do is create a personal advisory board and be very intentional about, about who you put on that board. And it's not everyone like you and it's not only your boss. It's people that are your friends that are look at things very different than you. And, and you ask them to give you that, give you some straight feedback, unsolicited, unfiltered feedback about, about where you're at in your life. And, and maybe meet with them once every six to 12 months or buy them, buy them lunch, buy them dinner and talk through these things and let them give you their, their unsolicited feedback. Um, we've had people go back and say, I've got a problem. I, I'm going to do a 360. Right. And, they go, they go, they go and do a 360 review and they get, and, and they prep their team why they're doing this and, and they get fantastic feedback and, and then they make plans and they communicate those plans, right? That, Hey, I, this is what I'm hearing. Is this, is this accurate? Uh, yes. It's accurate. They say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold myself to behave differently in these ways or exhibit these types of behaviors or, whatever those things are. And, and then I'm going to come back to you in six months and I'm going to ask those same set of questions. And I want you to tell me, am I getting better or worse? And, and the people, because people will not give freely. It's difficult. Train not to do that. You don't want to hurt anybody else's feeling. You don't want any negative consequences at work, so on and so forth. Um, but if you, if you name it and you make it a process and you're explicit and you join the people around you who you're affecting into that process, it can be incredibly productive, incredibly insightful, and it can, can, can really help you both in, a, in your personal situation as well as your professional situation. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's talk about building a culture where it is not seen as a deliberate um, attempt to be made by people at different levels to make the rest of the organization and the team members as emotionally intelligent so that if anyone is falling back or there's a relapse because there is no formal train going on, training going on, uh, then the rest of them pick those people up and, and take them along so that we never are reducing uh, the, the impact that we have created by creating emotionally intelligent teams. And now there is a resilience and also there is a uh, capability of an organization to heal itself if at all there are any things going wrong. So how do you create such a culture? What all does it take if people have done it? How did they go about doing it if people have not done it right and they failed? What were the reasons? Let's explore them. Please come back. We'll, we'll come back. And please, listeners, please stay tuned. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. 
Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So one is to, of course, work piecemeal with different subgroups, departments, etc. Another is to build a culture so that uh, there is no relapse or at least there's minimization of such relapse. If individual is failing, then other people pick that person up. What does it take to build such a culture? Who have tried it? Who all have tried it? What has worked? What has not worked? What to watch out for? Loaded question. Scott, what do you think? Okay. <clears throat> I think that first, your, your, the leadership needs to make a commitment to, to doing that. It can't be done on a one-off basis, and it can't be a, uh, a fad of the moment. People will recognize that. Um, what, uh, I worked for Aon Global in their global group, and anybody who was to be promoted past director had to go through this program. It was, it was, it was non-negotiable. And the people who were at a higher level um, had, had these fundamentals down. Um, second thing, <clears throat> if you want to go and – Put your people through it. If you're having a problem, um, one of the first things I would suggest doing is going and getting the personality profile, uh, making the investment in the personality profile testing, and then having a certified person come in and talk about how those people, how the different types interact with each other. That is incredibly simple and an incredibly powerful and a fairly low-cost way to help people understand why they have challenges with other people on their immediate team. Okay. That I think is uh, the MBTI is the one that I particularly prefer. There are other ones out there that are also very, very good. But uh, the MBTI is, is one that, that I find particularly, particularly powerful. Third is don't let it stop. This, there has to be something ongoing where this needs to be kept in the forefront of people's minds. So maybe you pick something once every two to three months that you're going to do, some experience, somebody you're going to bring in, um, you, some, some book you might want to read and then discuss. And all of these things can often appear corny. However, if you keep at this over time, you can build that culture, and it becomes part of who you are. You, the shared stories that you create are part and parcel of the culture. If you don't have shared stories inside your team or your organization, then you don't have a solid culture. Um, the Indians call them totems. Um, there's other names for them in other cultures, but, but you need to have these, these shared experiences. Now, you're going to be bringing a team or a group of people along over time, and there are going to be new people entering. So you need to think about, okay, if you're going to enter, what are the things that these people need to go through as as they join this journey that, that people are on. And even though it might be, you might get some eyes rolling, particularly at first, um, as people begin to understand that this isn't going away, that this is powerful, that this is, they, and they see changes in you as a leader, right? Because I don't think it's like math. 
you don't know how to add. Once you know how to add, you're done learning how to add. You're, we're, we're all growing as, as people, and, and we're all on the same journey. And put yourself as a leader on the same journey as the people who are around you. And, and make sure that this happens over time, that it's reinforced. And then have conversations about that in, in between those, those events. Make sure that it's not something that just happens once every couple of months. Put it into action. That's the third part. So have the, get, the, get the experiences. Start with something practical and high impact, and then put it into action. Give people an assignment. Make them do something with that over three months so they don't just learn it and then forget it, but as, as so many uh, courses approach this. So to get out of the gate and doing something like this, I, th- those would be my suggestions to you. Um, I'd also absolutely suggest that you work with your human resources department because they probably have a more complete uh, list of, of, of local organizations and local programs to you that might be more cost-effective than some of the, uh, you know, the, the national or more prestigious ones. But they also might be very high, highly impactful for you. And they probably have some knowledge about how those programs have worked within your organization. Um, because the same program doesn't always affect each organization differently. I'm sorry, the same way. It often is different depending on where that organization is in a business cycle or the size and nature of it. Uh, the type of thing you would do in a in uh, a venture capital type of funded organization is probably very different than what you do at a Fortune 50 telecom with offices all over the world. So work with them and, and put something together, but make sure it's repeated. Make sure it's over time. Make sure it's reinforced between the events, and make sure that you're modeling that behavior. And if you're not modeling it as a leader, the the named leader then it, you will not get that behavior inside your team. Also, okay, make what, sure that if yeah. you give your team the freedom to give you feedback if you're not modeling, because you would, you need to model it if you want to be successful. And it's, it's as hard for someone who's who's got a big title as it is for someone who's got not so big title. Okay, 30 seconds for you, Scott. One last question. Give three yeah. words which leaders should keep at the top of their mind if they want to build an emotionally intelligent IT team? What, what, I'm, can you ask that question again? I apologize. I missed three, it. three words which should be top of a leader's mind if they want to and they wish to have an emotionally intelligent and resilient IT team. I'm going to give you four. Okay. The, the first is trust. Trust. The second is compassion. The third is consistency, and the fourth, which you, I, you don't hear much in companies, is love. So, On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Scott, for sharing your thoughts on how to build an emotionally intelligent IT team. Well, thank you again for having me, and uh, hopefully you, uh, you, you took at least a couple nuggets away from this that will be useful to you and your organization. So thank you again. Thanks once again. And listeners, hope you got uh, value out of this discussion with Scott. Please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, 
please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.